welcome. It is the fourth Sunday of Advent, and we're so grateful you found time to be with us today. It is our Christmas festive finery Sunday, so we've invited everyone to uh, put on their fun Christmas attire. We invite the children and the adults, if they want, to wear their uh, festive uh, pajamas to celebrate the Christmas season. We'll be celebrating a meal together after our worship experience here in person. We're grateful you found us, and if this is your first time, we certainly are grateful you're here, and we want to give a special shout out to you, and we'd invite you to click on the digital connection card up in the corner and just let us know who you are, and if there's a prayer request you might have, or if there's a question we might be able to answer, we'd certainly love to do that, and we certainly hope it's not your last time. And if this is your spiritual home, we say welcome to you, and we're grateful that you found time today to be with us. I want to share that I had a chance earlier this week to travel to St. Louis to see our friend Jim Welker. Jim grew up here in the Mansfield area, and uh, he's been in such an encouragement to so many different things that the church has been about. It was good to spend a day with him. I was able to connect my nephew, uh, Philip, lives there, and he works for a company that sells uh, rare and unique automobiles. And so Jim and I and his son Martin jumped uh, in the car and, and met Philip and and did a tour of the warehouse there. And you can see these cars are just one of a kind and truly spectacular. And it was good to be with Jim and so grateful uh, that he has fond memories of growing up here in Mansfield. And we had a chance to talk over a couple meals of just all that he's experienced here. And we are grateful that he is uh, part of our uh, faith community. Grateful that we can be connected uh, by distance through this technology here. Our Christmas Eve service will be at four on Saturday. And we would invite you, if you're in the community, to come and join us. Uh, there will be an online experience here, as well as one on uh, Sunday morning, the Christmas Day, as we will not be meeting in person. And we are grateful uh, for this technology that can connect us so we can stay together with our families and enjoy all that God is doing in our homes and in our community. And as we come to worship on this fourth Sunday of Advent, this is the Sunday where we light the Advent candle that's called love. Do you remember what it looked like last year, or maybe the year before that, or maybe even the year before that, as we experienced all these uh, first times with our uh, season of the pandemic, and then just all the things that that meant in terms of how we had to do life? There's lots of disappointments there, uh, lots of things that we were optimistic about, even as we uh, step forward on uh, New Year's Eve and ponder what the new year will bring. There are many moments when I think many of us struggle with just what God is doing, and maybe even to the point where we are disappointed because it feels like God has left us down. I mean, just think about where we've been over these last number of years, the things we had to pivot to and learn about. Our families had to learn how to do homeschooling and, and the idea that some of us couldn't be together. And even now, I know, saw a story in the St. Louis newspaper just warning us that COVID uh, was on the uprise again and the new variant, and therefore you know, wanting to encourage caution as people gather. And we just think about the impact that that's had on families. And I know talking to some folks at Jim's retirement community, there's just a concern today that uh, we just aren't quite sure. And yet we have to live life in a way that uh, we take caution and, and we take, and, and take care. At the same time, we live life as fully as we possibly can. And then when we think about how the year is going to turn out, all of us make plans, and we're just not quite sure what to do with that. And I want us to see how that ties into the Christmas story. As we've been walking in this year's Advent, 
with the message series that I'm simply calling Christmas, just to try to point out some things. In the first week, we talked about whether or not peace is even possible in this crazy world. And then to realize that all the confusion that is in our world over just our conversations, the, the offensive nature, it seems, of conversations where uh, it gets complicated in a very quick way if you take a position or share your opinion of something where all of a sudden you can offend somebody. And we're looking at how Jesus dealt with offense. And then last week we looked at this idea of what happens when uh, God makes us wait. We looked at it in the context of the world waiting, right? As we looked at uh, Genesis chapter 3, realizing that there was a promise made then for the coming of restoration after sin entered into the world. And yet realizing, too, that there was some 400 years between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament, and how during that uh, time period, it just seemed as though God wasn't present. Uh, and, yet, and yet what happens? There on the hillside, the shepherds hear the angels share as they're taking care of their flocks, the angels appear to them and share this great scripture saying here in Luke chapter 2, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. That's Luke chapter 2, verses 10 through 12. I want us to see here that if we had needed advice, that God would have sent to us a counselor, I'm sure. Or if we needed more education, that God would have sent us a teacher or a professor to help us learn the mysteries of life. Or if we needed better laws and a better political process, he would have sent a politician to help organize all that. But it's interesting what he says here in Luke chapter 2 is that what we needed was we needed forgiveness. We needed someone to save us, someone who would bring hope and healing. And that's where Jesus comes as the uh, suffering servant to be our savior. And then it's interesting that as the angels unpack their message to humanity, is it says there will be a sign, which means what? A sign helps to convey a message. And what is that message? Well, it wasn't the message of some king in a palace who was all dressed in purple, who showed up to, to rule. In fact, in this case, even though we celebrate with the liturgical color of purple, to remind us of Jesus' royalty, what do we have? Well, the story we're told and the story we know so well is about a baby who's born in a manger, which is a place where animals feed. And, and, and yet it's interesting, too, that he's said to be wrapped in swaddling clothes, which becomes a foreshadowing of the burial uh, that Jesus would eventually experience as he gives up his life to rescue us. As we know, we hear that great Christmas carol, Mary, Did You Know? We're reminded that the sign that is here for us as his people, it's about a heavenly royalty where he is born to die. And so we have here in Luke chapter 2, verse 13, Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to those whom God is pleased. That's Luke chapter 2, 13 through 14. Well, this idea of glory, that's what it's all about, right? Glory to God in the highest, where we give honor and praise for the truth that's going to be told here soon in a very clear way that he's come to rescue us, that he was born to be slain for us, to be offered up as a sacrifice to pay uh, for our sins so that we could be restored to our relationship that was meant to be, uh, that relationship that was established before sin entered into the garden. 
the angels say peace on earth. That's what we're going to see. But what are they really going to see? And I would suggest it's the same thing that you and I've seen. It's, it's anything but peace. And as we lean into the season of life for each of us, as we lean into just where we find God working, it might be that some of us are disappointed by just what has happened about the plans that we've had and how it seems as though God hasn't shown up. And so let's uh, take a moment and pray, and then we'll lean into this conversation together today. Father, we're grateful that even when you're not present in our lives in a visible way that you are working, and help us see through your Holy Spirit that truth as we look at this most amazing story that you've written for us, for our benefit, to show of your rescue for us from our sin through Jesus. And we pray it through his strong name. Amen. So the story, this Christmas story we know so well, really isn't a heartwarming story when you take a look at it from uh, what I say, the helicopter view. I mean, it is, it's almost a story that's heart-wrenching. You have the story of Mary and Joseph who are navigating just a crazy season where they've been betrayed and where there's a sense of deceit and there's all sorts of relational things that get blown up. These aren't just names, but these are real people a young man and a woman who had plans for life. And then when you think about just all that they experienced there after the birth of Jesus, and then with Herod uh, wanting to have Jesus killed, the baby killed, it's just the hatred that's there and just the hatred that's there, even the criticism. Joseph learns that Mary is pregnant and just all the shame that comes alongside that, even the humiliation. And then the idea of having to run from Herod which has got to be an incredible nightmare for Joseph and, and Mary as they have this new baby. And then all of this to say that they were just doing what God asked them to do, and things get tossed upside down. And, and for all of us as followers of Jesus, the reason we're even looking at this is to help us process maybe what we're experiencing in the moment. Now, let's take a look at Mary and Joseph as just well, who they were the plans that they had made. Uh, I'm sure Joseph, in his mind, he had mapped out, maybe if uh, he had had uh, his uh, cell phone that he could take and do one, you know, an amazing proposal. Uh, maybe it's on a bridge over a river uh, to the city of Bethlehem where he was going to be able to share it with all his followers on his social media, right, that there's these huge plans that they had made and that they were going to get married and that they were going to take a, an amazing honeymoon and and just enjoy life together as husband and wife. And then thinking about the plans that they have together, where Joseph is going to pay off his school loans and, and that they're going to live in this apartment for a couple of years, but then they're going to save their resources so they can eventually build a home uh, where Joseph can provide well for his family, somewhere in one of the beautiful neighborhoods in Nazareth. And as he grows his carpentry business, he ends up having to hire other people to help him. And and then they do what young couples do is with young families, they end up having babies and life is just really good. And then what happens? Well, to be truthful, as we look at this story, God comes along and he turns their plans upside down. And he turns what was going to be simple and easy to something that is probably the most complicated thing that could happen to them. It, it wasn't convenient. It, it, was, it really came at the wrong time and almost someone would say that it seemed really unfair. And yet, it's interesting that what happens with, with Mary then. Uh, we know that Mary's a teenager, 13 or 14 possibly, a young woman. And the angel shows up and tells her that she's going to give birth here uh, soon to a son, 
uh, to Jesus and that she's to name his name Emmanuel because he's going to save God's people. And how does she respond? Well, her response is like, this is amazing. Uh, in fact, uh, the Annunciation, as we call it in Scripture, is just a beautiful response to how God has worked in her life. And, and she ends that conversation up by saying, may it be done unto me, where she shows her willingness. And so you have Mary, who's on a spiritual high, where she's had a conversation with an angel and this promise of what her future is going to look like. And then, you know, as she runs to tell Joseph what's happened to her, I'm sure she's excited, but then all of a sudden, you know, how is Joseph supposed to respond? This idea that if you found out your girlfriend was pregnant and it came because of the Holy Spirit, I just think it's like, wow, this is really kind of crazy. Now, it's interesting, Matthew helps us understand this much. He says this in chapter 1, verse 18, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. Okay, this is crazy. I mean, this idea of divorcing quietly, what's that all about? They were just engaged. Well, it's interesting. We need to understand what was the cultural way that marriage was practiced, uh, the idea of how a Hebrew marriage took place. There was actually two steps to it. There was the first that was the engagement, and then there was the second part that was the marriage ceremony. What does this idea of engagement mean? It literally is a binding contract with the understanding that the ceremonial part would come later. And even the idea that if the man dies while in the engagement period, the woman would be considered a widow and would have to be taken care of appropriately. Now, think about it. They're still picking out wedding colors, and Mary finds out that she's pregnant, which means she's an outcast. And then you have Joseph in his own mind who knows that he was never intimate with her, and he's got to have been crushed and humiliated. And then to be reminded, too, that you just think about all that was going on there, that the invitations to the wedding have been sent out, and, and now they have to call off the engagement. And so what you have here is not just public humiliation, but even the idea of personal betrayal. So just thinking about the dynamics between the relationship of Joseph and Mary. We have to say that Joseph did trust Mary. We know that he loved her and that he had these plans to spend the rest of their life together. And now all of a sudden, what is he supposed to do? Now, on the other side of this, you've got Mary again, who is this teenager who didn't do anything wrong at all, right? I mean, she uh, just simply said yes to God. And so what happens? You have Joseph giving just a, a intellectual assent to the idea of divorce. I guess that's the best he can do, which means things are going to start breaking down to the point where both of them, I think, said, God, where are you? And this idea probably that was in Mary's head is that, you know what, God, I said yes to you, and now I'm not sure what to do. I mean, this man that I wanted to be my husband, Joseph, he hates me. And to be honest, everyone hates me because I'm pregnant, and which means life is over. And that, that most importantly, it isn't what she planned, right? So again, the question is, what do we do in those moments when it seems like God hasn't shown up or God walked away or God uh, even frustrates our plans? And I'm going to guess that most of us have had that kind of experience. You may be even having that experience right now. 
think about just where we've all been over the last couple of years, right? The things we've planned to do but can't. Uh, the idea of how we have to do things now in a whole new way. The idea that how we do relationships, how we do life, whether it's about being married or, or having children, uh, uh, that all these things that we plan out, it isn't what I wanted. It isn't what my plan was, where we can look to God and say, I really don't understand. What I want to offer today is two things, two truths that I think can help us uh, when we don't understand. And the first one is that this idea that you don't have to understand the plan to trust that God has a purpose. Proverbs tells us, many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. That's Proverbs chapter 19, verse 21. To be honest, right, uh, people's opinions can't stop God's purpose, and even a pandemic can't stop God's purpose. There can be all sorts of disappointments that come along, but we need to see that God has a purpose that's larger than our circumstance. And so even for our friends Mary and Joseph, as we read their story, we know that the plans they had for each other are, are more than disappointed, right? Now the question is, what do they do? Well, again, Scripture helps us see this. We heard this Scripture last week. Uh, hear it again. Matthew 1, verses 20 to 23. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in his dream and said, Joseph, Son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her from the Holy Spirit, she will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God is going to create a moment to change everything. And so we need to see here that God had a purpose in, in this plan of what, what it had unfolded. I think about my story. I think about my plans. Just as an example is the things that I had planned on coming out of high school was going to uh, remain in the family business, look forward to being third generation, working with my father and my grandfather, and, and all sorts of good things happened. And then all of a sudden, uh, because of some uh, rules from the EPA and the environment, realized that this gasoline business that we had uh, with many employees and many stations that we were somehow operating things that were hazardous to the environment. And so rules changed and requirements, and that put a strain on all sorts of things because we had older units, and, and so we had to walk away from that. And that was very humbling. And so then I go to the university and work there, and started there. My first event was President Ronald Reagan attending the campus in 1983. And and as I'm there over the years, I begin a process to get my uh, graduate degree from Ashland Seminary. And my intention there was just to give me credentials to help me do my job better at the university, not knowing that there would be a point where that opportunity would change and that door would close. And I'd end up uh, becoming a youth pastor, of all things, where I leaned into walking alongside some amazing families and young people to help them find faith. And then what happens that? Well, here I am. This is my ninth uh, Christmas here at Linden Road. And that's kind of crazy. 
And the truth is, when I look at the helicopter view of my life, and maybe even have to take a larger view, maybe the 30,000-foot view, it's clear that the plan I had mapped out for myself wasn't what God had. And yet what I can see in my own story back through all of this is that God had a plan and a purpose in the plan that maybe I didn't understand, but he did fully. And so when we think about Mary and Joseph or we think about our own story, we, we all have had things that haven't gone according to the plan that we had made. And so the second big idea today is, is this, is that your disappointment with God might actually be a divine appointment from him. Think about it in the story of Christmas. Uh, Caesar Augustus issues some kind of crazy decree where everyone has to go back to their hometown because they're going to do a census. And you think about Mary and Joseph. For them, it was about a 90-mile journey, uh, where they, and they had to take it by donkey. And I can't even imagine what that must have been like. Uh, that distance by donkey would have taken probably a couple weeks. And when you think about Joseph, who I'm sure they didn't have vacation time, or so he doesn't get paid during this season, and he's out there, and there's a lot of pressure coming on him. And you think about just where they're traveling through, it wasn't exactly a safe place to walk through. And then even the environment that they're walking through, it was cold at night. And so all these things, the creature comforts that we're so used to, he didn't have that to experience. And then just literally the physical part of where they were walking through the valley of the Jordan River, it wasn't a safe place. And here he is with his wife, uh, the mother of his child. She is pregnant. He's got to fight off robbers and, and pirates, I'm sure. And then there's probably lions and bears and who knows what else. And all of this on the back of a donkey uh, with his pregnant wife. That has to be crazy. And then when they get to know the story, right, there's, uh, there's no room for them in the inn. Uh, they weren't able to check in through Hotels.com. No, there was no room at all. And so Mary has been riding on the back of a donkey for over a week. So more than likely, she's uh, getting ready to have the baby. So contractions are coming, and, and there's got to be some freaking out moments between the two of them as they realize we got to find a place to have this child. And so he ends up uh, at a place, the inn, which uh, ends up putting him in the stable, which is basically a barn. And then you just think about birthing a child in that kind of environment. Of all the circumstances, that probably was the most unclean. And just all the things that come with shepherds who eventually show up, they want to see the baby. Uh, oh, my goodness, it is just beyond belief. And then the story, as it turns, uh, as Jesus is growing up, where Herod decides to have all of the babies killed because he's a, afraid of the competition. So we end up with Mary and Joseph running for their life. And so this promise of peace on earth, it wasn't even close to that. In fact, it was the exact opposite. As we think about Mary... And we fast forward to her there at the foot of the cross. Can you imagine what was going on in her mind? How 30 years earlier she had just said yes to God. And yet you can just see what a mess it was, at least in her mind. This idea is she looks at Jesus on the cross and sees him uh, bloodied and bruised and stripped naked even. And I'm sure in her mind she's saying, this isn't what I had planned. Uh, to hear her son then say, as he suffered there on the cross, the forgiveness that he offers uh, through the Father, and then he commends his spirit into God's the Father's hands. And so Mary watches him literally die his earthly death. Now, we need to see here, again, this big idea is that we don't have to understand the plan 
to, so that we can trust that God has a purpose. Because we know his plan and his purpose will always prevail, even when we don't understand it. And the truth is, where we are right now, and where God is going to lead us in our future, we have to have a confidence that he's working for us and in us. So we have this story of Christmas that we hear each year. And if you think about it, there's no one who could have mapped it out this way. It is so upside down from how any of us would have written the story, this idea that no one could have planned for it, this idea that God takes on flesh and moves into the neighborhood, that God becomes man, the incarnation. It's so amazing. And that it comes about by his Holy Spirit, and that he, as he's born into this world, Jesus comes wrapped in swaddling clothes, which is a foreshadowing of his eventual having to offer up his life and to die for our benefit so that he could rise from the grave. Quite literally, that he was born to die. And it's interesting, the sign of the clause is to help us understand now. And we, we look through the lens of the cross to better understand all that God has done in history. And so we have this promise of foreshadowing, even last week as we talked about that big theological concept of the Proto-Evangelium, that in the midst of the curse, as soon as we have sinned, God is making a promise that he's going to make things all right, that he's going to restore things to what they were and the hope that we have in that, and show us victory over death. So when we think about Mary and Joseph, they have this plan, right? And yet, uh, we also know that God has a purpose. And, and I want us to see in a very particular way on Christmas this year is that we were that purpose, that each of us, you and me, are the reason why Jesus came. Here in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, he says, Mary will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. You see, we all needed hope. And quite honestly, we all needed forgiveness. We needed a Savior. So when we think about this, this is a Savior that we needed. When we think about the forgiveness that we needed to have things set right with God. We need to see that when we're experiencing a frustration or what we think is a disappointment of God, this change of plans that we have to make, uh, that we may not understand. Here's what we have to hang on to and, and embrace is the promise of Christmas, is this promise that his ways, our Heavenly Father's ways, are perfect. That even though Mary and Joseph had a plan, that God had a purpose. And when we think about it, again, there's this big idea that the disappointment we may have with God might actually be where he has a divine appointment to walk with us. And that, I would suggest, in the largest sense possible, is his name is Jesus. That was the disruption and the interruption and the change of plan that he brings about. And again, as we looked at Proverbs, we're reminded that we have all sorts of plans that are in our heart, but the reality is that God has his purposes and plans, and he invites us into that and shows us how much he loves us by rescuing us and establishing us with an opportunity to have forgiveness of our sins, to be made right with him, to take on his righteousness. And so as we think about this Advent Sunday, this Sunday of love, this fourth Sunday, we can say very clearly that we don't have to understand the plan, but we can embrace the fact that God has a purpose in all the things that he's leading us in and through. And so it's that purpose that we embrace today, and we say, Merry Christmas. Let's pray. 
Father, we're grateful for this truth, and we pray that you would apply it in ways that would uh, radically change us in the way we see ourselves, in the way we see our circumstances, and that we see the plan that you're writing for us. We thank you for the purpose you've called us to and for the purpose of sending Jesus to rescue us. We pray, we pray through his resurrected power that we can be all that you desire as your sons and daughters. We pray it in your strong name. Amen.